Hey, this is Craig Cannon, and you're listening to Y Combinator's podcast. In case you don't know about YC, here's what we do. Twice a year, we invest 120 k in a large number of startups. The companies move to Silicon Valley for three months to work with us and build their company. At the end of the three months, they demo to a room full of investors. Many of the companies have gone on to be very successful. Some of the ones you might know are Dropbox, Reddit, and Airbnb. I'm excited to get our podcast rolling again and want to thank Aaron Harris and Kat Mignolik for starting the original YC podcast, Startup School Radio. Our first episode is with Amon Bartram. Amon has co-founded two YC companies, SocialCam and TripleByte. TripleByte connects software engineers with companies that are hiring. And some of the most frequently asked questions at YC are around hiring, so I thought it'd be good to have Amon in as he thinks about it all day. Our discussion mostly focuses on hiring engineers, though much of the advice he shares could be applied to hiring for other roles. Okay, here we go. Hey guys, uh, today we have Amon Bartram, uh, co-founder of SocialCam, TripleByte, and he is here to talk to us about hiring. So um, could you just give us a quick intro about uh, what you've worked on? Cool. Uh, so I joined uh, Justin TV, uh, fresh out of school, in uh, 2009, uh, when it was uh, just 25 folks, and kind of went through the, the, the roller coaster of the early days of Justin TV. Um, and uh, there I worked mostly on the, the video system. Uh, and I think that was where I got my first sort of taste of hiring. You know, we were as at the end of that, we were hiring pretty aggressively, and that was when I first realized how uh, how much noise there is in the hiring process. Let's <laughs> okay. say. Okay. Yes. Um, and then then uh, I was part of the uh, spinoff um, of of SocialCam, and that was a, a sort of video sharing app. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did that for about uh, three and a half years, uh, and we were acquired by Autodesk in 2012, and I worked there until 2014. Um, and then took a bit, a bit of time off and started uh, TripleByte. Cool. And so TripleByte, just for context for people, can you explain? Uh, sure. So uh, yeah, so we're a recruiting startup. Uh, so we help startups uh, hire engineers. Okay. And so and engineers apply to us. And then we do sort of a full interview with, with them, uh, you know, past the, the engineers who are good and match them with, with companies where they have a, a high probability of doing well. Cool. Um, so people ask us a million questions about hiring, recruiting, all of it. Um, in general, uh, let's assume that you're, you know, an early stage startup. What should companies be looking for in an engineer? There's not a there's not a crisp answer to that. Um, I think the, the the sort of the the pithiest answer I can give to that is you, you have to decide what it is you want to look for, and then you have to effectively look for that. So sort of the status quo, actually, I think there's some sort of an important truth here. Most companies think that they are trying to hire good engineers. That's, that, that's what they say to themselves. Um, and that, and, and, and they, what they don't realize is that, you know, company A's definition of a good engineer is significantly different from company B's. Um, and so what you have is a situation where you know, everyone has this definition in mind, and they're all different. Um, and, and, and this is a big source of noise. So, for example... If one, you know, company um, thinks that engineers need to be, you know, very fast and productive and be able to show that in an interview, um, and a different company thinks that engineers need to be, you know, very intellectual and be able to deeply understand computer science topics and talk crisply about that, um, uh, what happens is sort of all of the all of the awesomely productive, you know, engineers, very practical, not necessarily in strong academics, who apply to the second company fail. And, you know, okay. all, of the, all of the very academic could totally solve all your hard problems, but maybe aren't quite as flashy in, in you know, a web environment, engineers who apply to the first company also fail. And so it's, you know, 
for companies that are a bit of a larger stage, I think the obvious answer is you want to hire both those people. Mm-hmm. And so it's about building a process that can um, identify more broadly different types of, of skill. Um, for smaller companies, I think you're more in a situation where you may well actually only want one of those folks. You may well, you know, you know the thing that's holding your company back may well be productivity. And we need someone who's going to come in and be productive and, and, and sort of you know, bang out code. And if that's the case, you know, you need to realize that it's not important that everyone you hire be strong in computer science. Um, and if you are, you know, a company where you're facing security issues and, you know, really clean code, really precise code and solving hard problems is important to you, then, you know, at an early stage, and it probably makes sense to have a process that skews more in, in that direction. And so do you have general advice for people that come to you guys at TripleByte or just you as a friend advisor um, for diagnosing, like, what kind of engineer is a good engineer for your company? What like what do you tell people? We don't. So <laughs> it's funny. We're we're rarely in that situation. Actually, I think most most people have strong preconceptions. Um, so we, we we're more often in 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 the, in the situation of sort of broadening people's people's vision of 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 what a skill engineer can be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the obvious. Yeah, let me tell, let me I'm gonna circle back to the question. Um, what I think what happens a lot, this is a, mis- a mistake that's easy to fall into, is um, when people are interviewing an engineer, mm-hmm. they tend to ask about the things that they are the best at. There's this overlap between the things that you're the best at and the things that you think are the most important. So yeah, like every, like, like, every engineer thinks the things that they know are kind of the core of the, of, of, of the discipline. And so you ask everyone who you interview those questions, you bias yourself toward hiring engineers who have those skills... They join your team. They ask people, they interview the same type of question. And so the whole organization can grow in a direction that might not make sense. Mm, okay. Um, you know, it's very complicated because there are plenty of examples of companies with, you know, with defined engineering cultures that have worked out very well. So, for example, Google, you know, has intentionally or unintentionally grown very much in a computer science direction. And that's obviously worked out, you know, very well for them. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Okay, uh, you know, there, are, there are other companies in YC uh, that 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 yeah. I, I don't I just don't want to say names, sure, or names sure. but there, there are companies that that take a sort of a complete opposite, take a very human productivity friendly approach, and are also extremely successful, excellent companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, answering that question is not basically there, there. There are success cases on both sides, but I think as a, you know, when you're hiring your first employers, I think you need to just basically you know try to decide what's holding us back. You know. And so, yeah. And so say like, say I'm trying to vet this pool of engineers and they all like fit the, the certain rubric that I've created. Right. Yep. Um, but maybe one of them did a boot camp and has some projects. And then one of them, you know, went to a great school, has a CS degree. So how do you, uh, how should I think about, you know, credentials and experience? Boot camps versus CS degree. I don't think are all that different. Now, th- th- Okay, that's obviously a, a, a kind of a, a, a forceful statement. So I think I think experience matters more than where you got your education, right? So someone fresh out of a, out of a CS program who doesn't have internships mm-hmm. is still essentially a junior engineer, mm-hmm. um, and perhaps they they may have a more academic slant to what they've studied than someone out of a boot camp. But both those people lack real world experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think categorizing that differently than someone who has, you know, worked in the industry for five years and can, can own projects, right? The big, so, 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 you know, 
the skill that you can most easily measure in an interview is ability to think through small problems, relatively small problems quickly. That's really what interviews can evaluate. Okay. The skill that you need in an employee is the ability, it's like quite different. The ability to solve large, sprawling problems well, but over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And there's obviously a correlation there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not, you know, we use interviews as, as a proxy of evaluating actual skill because there is a correlation there. Um, but the correlation is not perfect. And an interesting observation is that people who are fresh out of university and boot camps actually in many cases, because they've been practicing, are better at the kind of problem that gets asked in any of you than, than, than your very senior, you know, eight, 10 years of experience at, at large company engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, what the senior engineer has typically is experience making architecture decisions, owning projects, gathering requirements, carrying that whole process through. And so, okay, how do we evaluate for that? It's super hard. Yeah. Basically, what ends up happening, and this is, this is honestly unfair, is that experience get, 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 um, is, is used as a proxy for that. This is something that we're focusing on a lot at Trillbyte. Um, but what, you know, this is very strange. Actually, if you, are, if you, are, if you have five years of experience, it's, it's, it's just flat out easier to pass an interview. You will get a job offer you know, after a worse performance. People think maybe that senior engineers, you, know, are, you, know, you expect their senior, they should, they, should, they should perform better in the interview. And that's actually not generally true. The bar to getting a job offer um, goes down as you have sort of a, a impressive-looking resume, and, and this, is, this is not this is, you know it's not irrational on the part of the companies. Um, it's just the reality. Sure. Okay. And so then, when you guys are like pre-screening these people for TripleByte, for example, like what are you looking at? What are you having them do? Yeah. Uh, so we the approach that we take is to evaluate as much as we can in isolation and be aware of what we're evaluating. So we explicitly evaluate. Programming, just programming productivity. Given a relatively, you know, a, a specked out problem. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we like it's describing an algorithm to solve a problem. It's not super mathy. It just uses the set of steps that you have to do. Can the candidate take that mm-hmm. and you know render it into well working, well structured code? Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly, junior folks actually often do better than senior folks at that sort of problem. Um, we then separately do a evaluation of sort of academic computer science skills. You know, you know, is the engineer um, knowledgeable about, about 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 computer science and about the sort of that approach to problem solving? Um, we then separately one, one thing that that, that we, we took from Stripe actually is we do a, uh, a, a debugging uh, section, okay. and so we give the candidate a large code base and that has some some bugs, and we ask them to sort of you know take take some time dig into the code base and then try to find and fix these bugs. Mm-hmm. And I think this does a great job of solving some of of those problems, basically, because the, the you know this is a skill that that comes from experience that um, is often missed by more 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 traditional interviews. Um, and then finally, we do a system design section. So you know here's a you know, talk here's here's you know here's some requirements Des- you know, design a production web system to satisfy these requirements. Okay, now we're going to change the requirements. You know how how, can you, how, how do you adapt your design? Um, how do you talk about trade offs? And all of that's done remotely because the person's at home, right? Uh, yes, we do, we do this all over uh, Google Hangouts. Okay. And so what's a reasonable amount of time for someone to just like go through one of these exercises? Are they all widely different? or To go, to go through our exercises? Mm-hmm. Uh, our interviews are about two hours um, in length. And so we, we, we spend about 30 minutes on each section. Okay, cool. And you, and you find that's like a very strong data set in terms of correlating how successful uh, they are? Yeah. Uh, well, we've done about, about 2,000 of these interviews um, over the last year and a half, and so we've been able to sort of drill in on the parts that are, that are, that are 
you know, most predictive and, and cut time off and shorten it. I think if you're starting from scratch, you would probably need about, about twice the amount of time to get through all that stuff. Okay. And so what, like, so having gone through all these interviews at this point, um, was there anything that you thought was really important in the beginning or something that's like very common in the Valley, uh, that many people think is important that isn't really important? Too much reliance on a single question. So the, the cl- sort of the, the classic interview format in, in, in tech companies is you know a number of, of one hour so forty five minute to one hour sessions, mm-hmm. um, and you know often engineers pick the questions themselves, um, and they're usually like little nuggets of 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 like I, I, you know they're, they're sometimes pejoratively called brain teasers. I don't I don't think I, like almost no one actually asks brain teasers. They're they're more like legitimate programming problems, yeah. um, but they just are little nuggets of difficulty. Like how do you you know given a string of parentheses, how do you turn off the well match? Okay, given multiple types, how do you turn off the well match? If you don't you know you know that, that, that's a classic interview question, um, and it ends up there's just a huge amount of noise. If if you just take a bunch of candidates and in a controlled setting have them all answer you know three or four of these questions, you'll see there's, just, you know, there's some correlation, but there's way less correlation than you would think. Hmm. Um, and companies, I mean, honestly, I, I, I believe this in my previous, you know, when I was, you know, like you, you, you have this question, you ask them the question and you see this variation and you assume, oh, the people who answer this question well must be smart and good programmers and the people who get totally tripped up <laughs> must not be. Yeah. Um, and then when you actually like inspect that, you see that there's this huge amount of noise. And like we, we have this pretty incredible lens on this this because we evaluate engineers pretty rigorously and then send out to multiple companies mm-hmm. and see what happens get, get get detailed feedback and so yeah is that feedback from the actual interview process or then once they're placed you actually know as well how they're doing uh, uh, both okay uh, but I'm, I'm currently talking about about the interview process okay so we so we, we screen engineers we send them to companies and then they do the interview there and we get feedback and it's just pretty incredible how 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 much disagreement there is so a candidate who you know does really well at one company, and we get told, oh, this is like the best people we've interviewed in months, this is a rock star, goes on to fail an interview at, some, at somewhere else. And, and, and like a, a pretty interesting stat we dug up is I, I uh, compared the rate of agreement between interviewers at companies um, with a, a data set of um, users reviewing movies online, right? <laughs> and the numbers were actually, were, were basically, and the, the, the inter-rater agreement was, was, was equivalent. So basically, the knowing that an engineer did well at one company gives you about as much, you know, information about whether that engineer is, you know, skilled yeah. as, you know, knowing whether, you know, the New York Times film critic, you know, rated 12 Years a Slave as, 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 as excellent or, or, or terrible. So, okay, uh, maybe you don't have an answer to this, but say I'm really good at brain teasers. Where should uh, I interview? I, l- larger companies, okay. probably larger companies so, and this, this makes a certain amount of, okay, the, yeah. this is all very complicated. It makes a certain amount of sense. So bigger companies, so, so brain teasers always introduce noise, but we've found that bigger companies rely more on that type of interview. And they do that partly, partly for some rational reasons. So bigger companies care more about measuring your innate ability and less about measuring whether you can jump into their particular code base and be productive on day one. Mm-hmm. So it's way more likely that a smaller company is going to say, we're using you know, Ruby on Rails. We need a very productive Rails developer. Um, 
you know, come take this interview, you know, and, 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 and we're going to measure how well you can converse, maybe how well you can work on our actual code base. Okay. Um, whereas the, the big companies, you know, Facebook, Dropbox, Apple, Google are more likely to say, we care about smart people. And, you know, within the confines of, of the noise of the interview process, they're trying to identify intelligence um, rather than specific experience. I mean, they also have like capacity, time to train yeah, people. Precisely. Whereas like a small company, no way. Okay. And then like prior, um, one of the questions what about um, skills that people don't think is correlated that are strongly correlated to a successful engineer? Relatively easy problem solving. So we've we've uh, so we have found that um, asking pretty easy interview questions is often more generally predictive than asking harder interview questions. And so okay. so so let's, to, to break this down, there are kind of there are two sources of of signal from asking a question. You can get signal on whether the candidate comes up with the right answer and you can get signal on whether they, you know, whether they struggle, how, how easy or hard it is them to solve the problem. Um, and so we, we square both these things for a bunch of questions and we've done this for, again, thousands of candidates. And what we found is that if you go in and look at how much, you know, the, uh, the individual score on one question we're asking correlates with how the candidate does on the job. Mm. And what we've found is that, as you would expect... Um, you know, getting a question right is is correlated with is good. Being an engineer, <laughs> yeah. um, and as you would expect, um, being able to answer a question easily is correlated with uh, uh, being a good engineer. Um, but there's also, of course, you know, uh, false negatives, right? So there are great engineers who fail interview questions, and there are great engineers who struggle with questions. And if you if if if, if you do if you look at the, like like the actual predictive ability. You know, rather than just the correlation of getting on the right side, right? The sweet spot mm-hmm. is actually far lower on the scale than most people intuitively think. And so, yeah, can you give like a couple examples of what those easy-er questions might yeah. be? Yeah, sure. Just descri- like, like saying like, you know, we want you to create a checkers game. Absolutely no, you know, no logic, nothing complicated, just a class that has a board, has a grid, it's got pieces, pieces move around. Um, this is really a pretty mundane, straightforward task. Um, that actually ends up being, you know, how well candidates do that ends up being a more stable predictor of engineering skill than sort of, you know, here's, you know, here's a, you know, here's the, I'm going to give you a sentence that consists of a list of words all glammed together and you need to find the optimal way to, you know, give a dictionary to break this apart into words. Mm, okay. That second problem, you know, ends up being a graph search problem that can be, you know, optimized with, you know, memorization or dynamic programming. Um, the second, getting the second problem right carries more information than getting the first problem right, mm-hmm. um, but with a really high false negative rate. Yeah. And so the first problem ends up actually being a, a better general predictor of engineering skill. And so is there a way if I'm like getting ready for a new, uh, you know, I'm going to go to another company, I'm going to get ready to interview. Um, do you recommend people train in any particular way or is because like you're going for that sweet spot of easy questions, like you just have to be smart enough to do it? Like, what do you tell people? Uh, Sort of in general, yeah. The board. If I'm going to prep to do some interviews, what would I do? So, I mean, I guess there's there's two questions there. One is where I think for companies that I think are doing a good job of interviewing, and then maybe for where I think some sort of the status quo is. Um, in general, uh, it depends where you're coming from. Uh, so, very different advice for, for for new grads and for experienced folks. Okay, so let's let's break them apart. Yeah, new grads. Yeah. Okay, for new grads. I would say, um, you know, make sure you're, you're solid with sort of the class, the classic sort of, you know, stuff that, so, so, you know, <laughs> breadth first search, you know, hash tables, okay. <laughs> heaps, um, I mean, it's it's cl- classic core computer science. Yeah. yeah. 
a, a, a surprising percentage of a new question ends up being slightly obscured applications of sort of those, especially sort of you know hash tables and, and breadth first search. Those those two things by themselves represent probably forty percent of the questions that are asked in most companies. Um, and so you need to know those. Um, but actually, many new grads are already pretty solid on that because they've been being drilled that throughout school. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing is. Uh, practicing writing code under, under, under stress. So working out a big problem over time is very different than you have 10 minutes or 30 minutes, here's a, you know, here's a marker right in a whiteboard, or even here's a, you know, a laptop program on it. Mm-hmm. And so just, you know, the things correlate, the skills correlate, but uh, you can improve your performance by practicing. So totally, you know, put in, you know, 30 minutes a day, uh, finding some new questions online and giving yourself a time limit and sort of trying to solve them under stressful situations. And are there good like resources that people can look for? Like anything in particular? Yeah, I mean the classic ones, right? So, so cracking the coding interview has a pretty good list of, of questions. Um, I, it's the other advice in that book. I don't think really applies to startups very much. Um, but the questions are are good. And um, then there are a bunch of a bunch of sites online that have lists. Uh, interview Cake is one that that I've seen that I think is high quality. An interesting aside to this though is that most companies actually want you to do these things, right? It's not companies would prefer that all their candidates, we prefer, we totally prefer, <laughs> now we try to design our interview in such a way that, that, that there's no impact, right? We don't really want to be measuring if you've been cramming on, on algorithms. Yeah. Um, but what, what, what interview companies want to measure is like max skill, max potential. Uh, so they would, they would actually much rather see you, you know, in a state where you, you're well prepared in the material, right? and, you know, rather than in a state when you've have the potential to understand it, but 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 forgot about it. Yeah. Um. And you know, a, a, an interesting trend that's happening in the industry is, um, companies companies being more upfront about what they're asking. Uh, okay. So so Facebook, for example, has started providing a sort of a interview prep class to everyone who applies, so that they're sort of going over the material. Um, it's part of me finds it encouraging because it is moving it in a better direction, but then it's also discouraging because it's like really sucky that you have to like take a class to, to figure out how to... <laughs> right. I just wonder if it like, if it's filtering for those types of people, right. Who are just like looking for like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. It's like, well, if you apply here, you can take the class and then like, take like, let me hold your hand the whole way through your life. Um, yeah. Well, I th- I, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So say I am going to interview at a bigger company. Uh, is there a way to prep to do well with the brain teaser stuff? Yeah, practice. So, 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 so again, the, the, there are some words that are thrown around when describing any of your questions that aren't... Brain teachers are pretty rare. Some companies probably have asked things like, you know, the golf balls in a 747, um, but that's really very rare. Um, much more common is application of a computer science idea to, to, a, to a practical problem. Okay. And there still is this leap of insight required. In many cases, I think those are bad, bad interview questions, right? You don't, like... Uh, uh, you know, companies should try very hard to ask questions where there is, it's not like there's one thing that has to be grasped until that's grasped, the problem feels impossible. Um, uh, but that, you know, but hard application, you know, sort of practical application of a computer science topic represents the significant majority of, of, of questions at big companies. And so, uh, so when I was in college, I interviewed at one of those like big management consulting firms and uh, they did have all those questions. <laughs> um, and so we spent like two months like prepping for it and I didn't get the job. Uh, and uh, I did okay on like the stupid, you know, ping pong ball questions. Well, I, you don't have to feel bad. One thing, one, one number we have that's interesting is that um, the engineers who do the best at companies go on to pass uh, about 80% of their interviews, but not 100. No, Almost no one passes more than 80% of their interviews at companies. Wow. 
Okay. Um, and yeah, so so you know, one big bit of advice to everyone is just like, don't feel bad if you fail the interview. It's not, <laughs> it is really not. Uh, a referendum on, 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 on your skill. I'm very happy to, to have not gone in that direction. Um, so what about the role of like, you know, projects, someone's portfolio of like side projects? Are there certain types of side projects um, that across the board are attractive to companies? Or is it like, you know, say, say I'm applying for a job at Stripe and like I did, you know, X payment type project and that would be more attractive to them. Um, so across the board, are there things that are interesting? Let me let me um, talk about answer that question. And then we'll talk about what I think you know the right thing for companies to do is. So companies don't actually pay very much attention to side projects, okay? Um, except for at the screening stage. So resume screen, you know, candidate applies to the company. Mm-hmm. The company decide if they're going to interview the person at all. Mm-hmm. And there's some adverse selection bias in who applies to companies, and there's this big stream of candidates. And so, you know, at any company, there's this huge stream coming in, and they have to decide somehow. Um, and so they do that on, based on resume screens, and it comes down to pretty dumb credential stuff, right? If you've worked at a top company, you've gone to a top school, um, or in some cases, if you have a project that they catch by, that's, that's impressive. Mm. And so Cypress can help a lot there, okay. um, but they are very rarely given away in the actual interview. Um, and I think it's actually probably the right decision. So people who have side projects sometimes feel bad about this. Um, yeah. But... but, but the reason it's the right decision is that most engineers don't have side projects. Most engineers have been, has, have, you know, been working at a company and it's all proprietary code and there's very little they can show. That's you know, 8 out of 10 engineers are in that, that situation. Mm-hmm. And having a consistent process, consistent, fair, you know, like consistency yeah. is the first goal of designing interview process. So that, you know, make it, you know the, the, the big problem is that the process is not usually consistent. So if you make it consistent, then you can optimize it. Mm-hmm. Um, and having this sort of other process where you look at, at, at projects um, introduces noise, and it's also just really hard to do. Mm. So you can't tell if someone spent, you know, a weekend on the project, or if they've been working on it for, for like the last 10 years. We, have, we literally see both pretty regularly when we talk about their projects. It's something I did over a weekend, or this, is, this has been my, you know, abiding passion for the last 10 years. Let alone, like, who actually contributed. Yeah, and, and, and uh, you know, things like coding quality, right? It's actually, it's, it's, it's startlingly hard look at a big bit of code and decide if you think the programmer who wrote it is is, is skilled. Mm-hmm. Um, just again, like there's so much context, you can't tell what, like what bugs they spend hours over. Like finding if, like the, the, finding bugs. Like none of us are good enough to look at a code and like immediately find the bugs. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. Um, and so you know, for that reason, um, for all those reasons, you know, side projects are useful. So if you if your problem as an engineer, if, if you know, it's just best engineer, if, if you're applying for jobs and you're being screened out a lot at the resume stage, doing projects probably helps. I'm mm. um, doing projects is a great way to obviously increase your skills, and that will be reflected in better performance on interviews. Mm. Um, but uh, I don't think projects have a very big role in um, in the actual interview. And so, what other things should I think about if I am being screened out? Like, say, like you know. I'm I'm getting a callback from like a one out of ten. Yep. What should I do? Apply to trail bite. <laughs> That's <laughs> okay. the short answer. Um, um, you know, other otherwise, yeah. Side projects help. I mean, it just sucks, right? It's this. Oh, it's, totally. it's not. It's not. It's not malice on the part of the companies. You know, like it, they're overwhelmed by applicants, um, and so they they use these sort of crude filters. 
Um, and th th that's, the, I think, the big thing that we're focused on is trying to figure out how to, how to, to directly measure the skill and so that we don't have to rely on, on, you know, filters like where someone's worked or what school they went to. And what about things like, you know, for example, location? So say I live in Salt Lake City and I'm interested in getting a job possibly at Facebook. Should I put like San Francisco on my resume and just like fly out for an interview? Um, do you have general advice in that area? Uh, big companies don't care at all where you're based. They have they fly people in you know by the hundreds every week. Okay. Um, smaller companies uh, do show a slight preference to, to, to local candidates, and so if your if your goal is to work at a at a small let's say sub you know twenty person startup, um, you're probably at a I don't know ten to twenty percent advantage if you're based in the Bay Area. Right there. Okay. Cool. Um, so from the company side, uh, there's like a million different interview methods that people uh, go for. Um, say we are you know. They go through triple byte. They get screened. Um, they're going to do an interview. Whiteboarding, pair programming, all that stuff. How do you feel about it? All the methods can work. There are right here. Let me let me let me let me sort of give a bit of a, a bit of a, a, a overview here. Um, so again, as I mentioned earlier, the core problem is there's this tension between the skills that can be measured in an interview solving small problems quickly, and the skill that matters as a programmer, solving big projects over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. um, and so the first, you know, the, the first approach you can take to interviewing is to say, okay, we're going we're gonna to not do it. We're going to do like trial employment or <laughs> yeah. so something like that. Yeah. Um, and that totally works. If you've worked with someone for a week, you have a far better read of their skill than I think anyone can get during a, during a, a, a three to four hour interview. Um, the problem is that there's a pretty strong um, bias in who's willing to do trial employment. Um, and it's, actually, it's adverse bias. So, that, so some of the, some of, many of the best programmers have lots of options. And if your company requires that everyone do this trial employment period, mm -hmm. um, most of them are not going to just going to say no. And obviously anyone who currently has a job... Um, they can't leave for a can't week. Can't do it, can't leave for a week. Yeah. Um, and of course, there's also, you know, you're, you're committing a week of time. And so obviously you need some filter before the trial uh, you know, uh, employment. And so I think in the end, we're left with a thing kind of like the, you know, like the, what, the famous, you know, democracy is the, is the worst form of government except for all the others. Um, I think that, you know, interviews are the worst way to evaluate engineers except for, like, all the other options. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, we're left, so, like, you have to do it. It's, it, it. it's fundamentally inaccurate, but you still have to do it. And the goal is to make it as accurate as possible. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so once, once you're the, on, on, on that page, um, we see two sources of noise. We see noise that comes from the company's being inconsistent. So I talked about that a bit earlier. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just it, it is still too often the process that engineers are responsible for coming with their own questions. Hmm. So if you're asking every 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 candidate different questions um, and again coming to a gut call, there's just this huge, like far larger than anyone really realizes source of noise. And so like if, if you ask, you know, pick any company that, that has that process, if you ask them to re somehow re-engineer, re-interview their, their colleagues you know, in a blind fashion, right? They would have a, you know, they would likely have a 50 to 60% pass rate, right? So 40% of their colleagues would be screened out. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so the solution there is just to be really consistent. Okay. So like to, come, to like make sure that you're asking everyone the same question and make sure that you're evaluating them in the same way. Mm. And, I, and I think that's, that's more important than what you're actually asking, right? So like the, the first step is be consistent. Second step is tweak that over time based on, what, on, the, on the results you see. Okay. Um, you know, once you're doing that, I think the other source of noise we see is companies looking for different things. 
right? And so as an example, like if early you have a company that's looking for, for you know, super academic, you know, engineers. Yeah. You have companies looking for very practical engineers. You have companies that think that you know all all, all skilled engineers you know know about how operating systems work. You have companies who think that you know they only want to talk to people who have experience in compiled languages. You have companies who hate compiled languages and think they're old and stodgy. <laughs> you have companies who like want people to use enterprise languages. You have companies. It's, it's, it's this mess. Yeah. Um, and so I think the important thing is to untangle which of those are conscious decisions you're making about who you want to hire. Mm-hmm. So you're a banking company. You want a big focus on you know QA process and safe code. It probably makes sense to reject someone for being too too much of a cowboy. Mm. Um, you know, you're a social media company. Your goal is to move really fast. You know, maybe you decide to have a culture where you want to move fast and break things, and you want to hire cowboys. Um, you know, th- those 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 are all those are you know logical decisions. Okay. Um, but it, but but very often companies are making similar kinds of decisions almost by accident. Hmm. And so sort of introspection, deciding okay, like there's always like we we want to hire those people, and then designing the process to look for it. Okay. And so in your examples. Um, Whiteboard coding tends to skew toward the academic. It tends to give preference to people who are really good at breaking their thoughts down into this sort of structured academic way and writing with a small amount of code. Mm. So you often have people who are actually really productive, excellent programmers who look really stupid and bad on a whiteboard interview. Um, And so if you're not looking for academic skills, um, it probably makes more sense to to, to put people on an actual computer and see how they actually work in their environment. Okay. And so what does the... um I get the underlying question for me is like, could you engineer a perfect interview? But I wonder like, what does the interview for a job at TripleByte look like? What, I mean, I imagine you made it, right? Yep. Okay. Uh, well, so first of all, everyone goes through, our, you know, all, all our candidates go through our regular process. Okay. Uh, so we, we hire people out of our, our regular stream. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we compete head to head with the companies. So they, they, <laughs> we, just, we just enter them to us as well as other companies, and, um, which is kind of fun. Um, so, they, they first, so, so they first go through a regular process. Um, and so we already, you know, have a, a pretty strong sense of how they are um, uh, in those areas. And then, just like you know, my advice generally is to decide what it, what the skills that that you preference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we we preference uh, a couple of things. Um, we preference, you know, data and data analysis is pretty key to our business. Mm-hmm. And so we preference people being comfortable and familiar, you know, talking and thinking about data. Um, that skews a bit more academic, mm-hmm. I think, than 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 what many companies hire for. Um, and then we, because we're in the business of evaluating knowledge really broadly, we then preference breadth of knowledge, um, I think, to a greater degree than most companies need to. And so what, what does that mean in practice? Like, what questions would I be, would I be looking at? Yeah. Uh, so we, again, so everyone goes through first our, 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 our standard process. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we ha- that gives us a pretty good read on just, you know, Productive programming output, um, general knowledge of computer science, um, general knowledge of system design, um, and then we then in our we do an additional follow up you know on site with the candidates, and that goes much more into depth into um, into data, um, or if we're hiring them for a different role, we sometimes hire folks who, who are not working in your data. So if we're hiring to be sort of a, say a front end developer, mm-hmm. that would be sort of into depth into front end development. Mm. And so here's a, here's a you know here's a spec for a front end project. You have two hours, build that. Um, or if they're going to be a back-end specialist, here's a back-end spec. You know. Gotcha. Okay. And um, so as an engineer, uh, should I be paying attention to like every new thing that's coming out? Is that going to be of importance when I'm doing an interview? Or should I be paying attention to whatever, a medium amount of it? Well, uh, the, the, yeah, there's an interesting longer-term answer. So, so one, one thing, a class of people we see, interestingly, we see people who have who, who thought about that same thing 10 years ago. Right. Made the decision to not keep up. Now, now the industry has changed, and now these folks, you know, are maybe still using, let's say, CGI 
and don't understand modern web stack and are indeed in a, in a, in a weak situation in interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I think the answer to your question is day one is not so important. Very few companies, especially only, generally only smaller ones, are like directly evaluating flashy new tech. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if you, if, you, <laughs> if, you, if you make the decision too, too forcefully today and you know, don't keep up to date and you, you end up being you know, totally behind 10 years from now, then you probably are going to pay a price. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're actually interested in starting your own thing at some point, like being on the edge really, really matters. Um, okay, I, uh, I mean, maybe uh, this is kind of difficult to answer, but I wonder about like employee retention, engineer retention. Are there any qualities that you've found like you can vet someone and say like, okay, I think the average is like 18 months or something for someone to stay around. Um, are there qualities that correlate to longer term employment? I, I'm not having looked at data on this uh, recently. So this is gonna be a little bit sort of off, off the cuff. Yeah. I mean, just the obvious things. If, you know, candidates who are excited about the, the mission in the actual company have a, you know, higher probability of staying than candidates who are chasing the highest paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there are counterexamples. You know, sometimes there are awesome engineers who are looking for a place to really commit, but I also want to make a fair fair wage. So it's, it's all like, <laughs> like these things are all really complicated. Um, but yeah, looking looking for I, I think I think I think the number one thing I would just say is looking for engineers who are excited about about, about the, the company and the job. Okay, cool. Um, so kind of just wrapping up, I um, I wonder, are there any books or things that uh, if I'm an uh, kind of like an engineering manager, I'm going to be running a bunch of interviews um, that I should I should really dig into and I can get a lot out of. I have not actually found any books that I think are very useful. I think this is going to sound arrogant, maybe, but I think engineering, engineering is this field where it's so easy to say things that sound profound that are not true. Okay. I truly believe that like like eighty percent of what's written out there by interviewing just doesn't actually hold up. So, for example, yeah, it sounds like a really idea that a lot of engineers love. Right, is the statement that interviews don't make any sense at all, and you should just look at work someone has done in the past, and um. You know, we, 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 we tested this a bunch. We tried, <laughs> we tried scoring engineers and had to have them talk about past projects yeah. and scoring them and try like even go even like 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 a full hour like going to depth in the project, talking technical details, scoring it. Um, just talking skill, ability to spin a tail, ended up dominating the actual engineering rigor. Um, and, and this this was far less predictive of 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 job performance than giving them a relatively simple programming assignment. I mean, and, and that kind of sucks. Like, I, I, I don't really like that's the case. Um, and you can find so many articles out there about about sort of you know this. It's stupid that we're asking engineers to do these interviews. Why don't we just have them talk about their past experience? And just if you test it, it doesn't hold up. And just for the sake of like keeping things standard, right? Um, what do you tell people to do in that way when they're conducting an interview? Well, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, standardize, right? So yeah. well, you'd be really careful about helping people. Interestingly, so, okay. so certain certain candidates are a lot better at. A listening help without yeah. necessarily realizing that you're helping them. <laughs> it's something we've had to battle with a bunch, actually. And so we have, it helps because we, again, we're doing thousands of interviews and so it's easier for us to, to do this. But sort of being, we have kind of a decision tree of all the different ways an interview can go and like what, what help we're allowed to give and what help we're not allowed to give. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's a big source of noise. Um, I, outside of doing a thousand interviews and standardizing it, I'm not sure I have a really good fix for it. But be aware that some really compassionate candidates will be like, Okay. Well, so, so okay. So, what's a common area where I might ask for help without you even realizing that I'm getting help? One is just being brave enough to ask. So, saying oh. like being really friendly. Yeah. And then saying something with confidence that's that's sort of like sort of right, and then getting there's this natural instinct to like add on to incorrect the error. 
And mm. as the interviewer, it's, it's really easy to do that and not realize that you're like steering the person through the problem. So if you're going out for interviews, you should do exactly that. I have a blog post on how to prepare for interviews and I do re- like, I recommend trying to do that actually. Really? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, w- I want to add a, a sort of a side to that though, yeah. which is like actually the negative side of that, which is that interviewing can turn into hazing. Interview, like it all, another interviewing is not just evaluation. It's also like this right of the shared right of, of, of entry into a company. Mm-hmm. And some companies develop this culture around the interviews being hard and unpleasant. And as the interviewer, it's really easy to forget how much harder it is if you're the one you're answering the question. It's so much easier to feel smart when you're asking the question. Um, and sometimes candidates get really flustered and like can't answer a question and it seems like like it's gonna be really frustrating as the interviewer if they're like this thing is obvious in front of them and they're just missing it and, and they're wasting your time and you can like you can get, get a little bit angry inside and it's just really important to stay away from like the hazing the like taking out anger on them by like like you know you know i'm generally against cutting interviews short actually i think it's i think i think i think except for in the case where the interview where the candidate is in pain i think it's not worth doing i think you save some time but but you damage reputation you know they they, they really dislike it it's embarrassing okay um but definitely staying away from the hazing staying away from like the so does that just mean like uh crazy brain teasers does that mean like uh cutting them off in conversation what does that mean yeah i mean, it mean well it means all those things right so it means crazy brain teasers um it, 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 being mean, thinking, sort of, sort of, sort of, getting, getting slightly angry and and aggressive in how you answer their questions, okay. uh, because you're frustrated by, by by how poorly they're doing. Okay. Um, and a, a, a trick that that we use that I think helps in that case is to sort of, in the case where a candidate is totally failing the interview, like flipping a switch in your brain and going from like evaluation mode into teaching mode. And you're like, you're like full goal now is just to explain and as as friendly as possible, like. I mean, generally, you already know the person failed, right? So this happens when the person has already essentially failed, at least the problem, if not the interview. Sure. And so you're like, you already have in the brain found, okay, this person is not passing. Yeah. And so I'm going to spend the remaining 15 minutes being friendly and explaining the answer to this question. Sure. Rather than continuing to try to elicit responses from them. And what about the, um, just the dynamic? Like, do you advise one-on-one interviews or how many people to per interviewee? Yeah. I, I, interview panel definitely increases the stress. Yeah. Uh, so we max out at two to one. So it's, it's training is important, right? So if you're, if you're trying to keep it consistent, you need to have continual cross, like cross, people need to watch each, other, each other's interviews. And so, we, but, but two, sort of one interviewer, one shadower uh, is enough to do that. Um, uh, you know, going beyond that increases the stress and I don't think it really helps. Cool. Um, so if people want to follow up with you and ask you questions, how can they reach out to you? Sure. Uh, my email is uh, amin at drillbyte.com. That's A-M-M-O-N. Cool. Thanks, man. Thank you, Craig. All right. Thanks for listening. Please remember to subscribe to the show and leave a review on iTunes. After doing that, you can skip this section forever. And if you'd like to learn more about YC or read the show notes, you can check out blog.ycombinator.com. See you next week.